Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Good morning, church. I'm so thankful for this opportunity. I feel so blessed to be able to bring God's word and God's message to you today. Uh, I love you. I, I appreciate you. I appreciate you being here. Um, this is my last day uh, working alongside the staff here as a summer youth intern. And I've been so blessed with the many opportunities that this summer has offered me. And so for that, I say thank you. Uh, thank you for this congregation and everything that you have done for me. And this morning I was given the topic, let your conscience be your guide. Let your conscience be your guide. And when I was first given this topic, I was a little bit confused. I'll be honest with you. I was a little bit confused. And maybe I was confused because whenever I was younger, I was told that I shouldn't always listen to my conscience. And this could come from me getting into lots of trouble whenever I was younger. And my parents always telling me, don't do that or you shouldn't do this. And so this morning I want to ask you, I want to ask you, what do you think about? What comes to mind whenever you think about a conscience? For me personally, my mind goes to the devil and the angel on your shoulder who each are trying to get you to do what they are saying, right? With the devil, of course, it's on your shoulder, trying to get you to do the wrong thing, and the angel on the other side, trying to get you to do the right thing. And I guess this could also add to why I became confused at this topic, because this conscience that I think about, this conscience that comes to my mind, can lead us both ways. It can lead us down both paths, one of which being the right way, and the other, of course, being the wrong so how can I let my conscience be my guide if my conscience is leading me down the wrong path? While studying and doing research on this topic, I found the saying, let your conscience be your guide somewhere else, in the 1940 Disney animated movie, Pinocchio. Jiminy Cricket sang a song to Pinocchio and it said, take the straight and narrow path and if you start to slide, give a little whistle Give a little whistle and always let your conscience be your guide. Now, I'll be honest with you, I have never seen this movie before. <laughs> I had never seen the movie Pinocchio, but of course I knew the story of Pinocchio, but I've never actually seen the movie itself. So what I did to look up the conscience is I looked up the definition of the word conscience. And this is what you find. An inner feeling or voice viewed as an acting as a guide to the rightness or wrongness of one's behavior. Conscience is at the heart what distinguishes humans, right? Because people, unlike animals, can contemplate their own actions and make moral self-evaluations. This is the very function of a conscience, your conscience is basically your understanding of what you believe is right and wrong, but here's the problem with that church. Here's the problem. The voice in your head is not necessarily God's. Look with me at someone who let their conscience be their guide in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8. Two weeks ago we talked about Stephen. Right. If we look at the end of chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8, we are introduced to someone new. We are introduced to Saul. And we read that Saul was there during the execution of Stephen. We read in Acts 8 that he approved of the execution. Read with me in Acts 8, chapter one, Acts 8 verses 1 through 3. 
And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Later in the book of Acts, Paul gives his testimony before King Agrippa. He says that he was convinced to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He was convinced by his conscience that this is what he was supposed to do. He was convinced to persecute Christian. He was convinced that he should throw them into prison. He was convinced that he should do this to everyone that followed Christ. And that was not just the men church. This is also the women too. He was convinced that he was doing the right thing. And if it was God who sets the conscience, then what happened to Paul? Paul was very sincere in what he was doing, right? He was very sincere in his persecution of the church. And we know that sincerity is not enough. Paul even talks about this in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 10, verses 2 and 3. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Paul here in Romans 10 is talking about people who are just like him. Jews who had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. The trouble and problem that arises is that sometimes our consciences are wrong. Paul had a conscience that was not set toward God. It was set toward God, but with wrong and outdated information. He let his conscience be his guide, and it guided him down the wrong path. See, our consciences give us the ability to evaluate our own thoughts and our own desires, to discern what is right and wrong, and to distinguish between what is good and what is best. And to help us, to help me get a a handle on what a conscience is and how it functions, I want you to think about an alarm clock. I want you to think about an alarm clock. Whenever I was in high school, uh, I played basketball. And what came along with playing basketball was morning practices. And so we had morning practices at 6 a.m. And to get there on time, I had to wake up at 5 a.m., every single day. And to help me wake up, I didn't want my phone to be my alarm clock because sometimes I don't wake up to my phone alarm. So me and my mom, we went to the store and we bought a a little alarm clock. We bought bought an alarm clock that would specifically be used to wake me up for practice. And and we, we bought this alarm clock, we put it in my room, and it was only supposed to be used for practice because the punishment for being late to practice was even worse than waking up at 5 a.m. every day. And of course, a good alarm clock does two things, right? Just two things. It stays quiet when you should be asleep, and it makes noise when you should wake up. That's how our conscience is supposed to work. When you are on the right path, a good conscience will be at peace, but when you are attempted towards the wrong path, a good conscience will sound the alarm. The alarm will go off. And you see, the problem with the conscience is this. Just like every other part of our soul, it has been distorted by sin. (coughs) It has been distorted by sin. One morning while I was asleep, I was asleep, my alarm did not go off. 
My alarm clock failed me. The only reason I woke up is because my mom came into my room and she was screaming at me saying, Colby, you better wake up. You're going to be late to practice. I was so confused. I was like, my alarm clock didn't go off. The only reason I got to practice that morning is because my mom woke me up. Like an alarm clock, consciences can malfunction and stay silent when they should go off. And many things could be the cause of a conscience not alerting you when it should, one of which is having a corrupt conscience. Having a corrupt conscience. Titus 1 verses 15 says, To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. Acting against your conscience will bring a change in your inner life, right? It will change how your conscience functions. A corrupt conscience approves of the wrong things. Just how Paul's conscience approved of the arrest and the execution of Christians. And an easy way to, to see this is to picture a teenager using drugs for the first time. He knows that drugs are addictive and destructive. And his conscience tells him that taking them is wrong. Taking them is wrong. But his friends are encouraging him. His friends are telling them to try them. And of course, he wants his friends to like him after all. So he overrides his conscience. And in overriding his conscience... He diminishes its power. His conscience is weakened. It is less sensitive and therefore less effective. Next time, that decision to take the drug will be much easier. If the boy repeats this choice again, the boy's conscience changes. And after a while, he will feel with nothing is wrong with what he is doing. The point is that the conscience is corrupted whenever a person acts against it over time. Your conscience, my conscience, can become corrupted whenever we continually act against it. When a person's conscience is corrupted over time, it can become seared. Look with me at 1 Timothy 4, verse 2. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Seared as with a hot iron. In the ancient world, doctors would use a, use a hot iron to cauterize a wound, right? It hardly bears thinking about the, what this must have felt like, what this must have been like without painkillers, without things like that such. But if you had a wound and the bleeding could not be stopped, your best hope was to have a hot iron pressed against your flesh. Once you recovered from that pain, you would discover that the bleeding had stopped. The bleeding had stopped, but you would also find that you had lost all feeling in that area that had been seared. The hot iron killed off nerves so that you no longer had feeling where the iron had been placed. Now, I have an older brother. Uh, I have an older brother who is a youth minister at a congregation outside of Atlanta, and I'm very thankful he's not here this morning because I can tell this story about him. When my brother was in high school, he, he got the opportunity to go to California and compete on, on a national level at some uh, business a business convention type thing, right? And so he went over to California. Um, my parents weren't there. I wasn't there. He was all alone with his friends. And, and one, one day, after a long, long day of competing, he went to the hotel room with his friends, and they thought about this grand idea. They had this grand plan to take a picture as a joke, right, of an iron on my brother's back. 
And of course, the iron wasn't going to be plugged in. It wasn't going to be on. But they were going to take a picture of this iron on my brother's back and send it to some friends back home as a joke of that he got branded by this iron. And, and it could have been that they were going to send it to my mom as well, just to freak her out, because this is her, her baby son who's going out there, and he's going to be branded with an iron. And so what, what they did was, one of his friends said, you know what, Lucas, that's my brother's name, he said, Lucas, we can't take this picture of just the iron on your back. We need to take a picture of it plugged in, too, so they think it's real. And of course, my brother said, well, yeah, yeah, of course, we need to take a picture of it plugged in. So what they did was they plugged it in, they took a picture, and they unplugged it really quickly. So then it comes to the point where they're going to put the iron on my brother's back. I have the picture all ready, and they place the iron on my brother's back, and my brother screams in pain. My brother was branded by an iron. The, the amount of time that it took for them to plug in the iron got the iron cycling where it got hot. And so this joke that was that my brother was going to be branded by an iron was not a joke anymore. What my brother found out was that he had lost all feeling in the spot that had been placed where the iron had been placed. The iron had seared my brother's flesh. The hot iron made that flesh lose all feeling. It had burned the nerves away. Paul says that's how it is with someone's conscience. They have been seared as with a hot iron. Their conscience has lost all sensitivity. When that happens, a person can lie, a person can cheat, a person can steal without their conscience raising any objection. They feel no guilt because their conscience is seared. As he was on the road to Damascus, that's exactly what Paul thought. Do you think Paul was worried about doing something wrong? Of course he wasn't. After all, we already know that he approved of the execution of Stephen. The seared conscience calls evil good and calls good evil. And so we know that our consciences can lead us down the wrong path. So how do we train? How do we build up our consciences in such a way that it can guide us through life? Paul says in Acts 24 verse 16, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. If a conscience has become corrupt so that it's no longer functioning correctly, how can it become pure? If a conscience has become seared, it's become insensitive like thick skin, how can it be made sensitive again? You see, a good conscience is powered by the Spirit. If I were to take the batteries out of my alarm clock that, that woke me up for practice, it would not work. It had to be powered by something, and a good conscience is powered by the Holy Spirit. John 16, verse 8 reads, when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In John 16 here, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. When he comes, when he begins working in your life, what you can expect is that he will wake up your conscience. When the Holy Spirit comes, he wakes you up to reality. And Jesus describes that reality in three ways. First is sin, the second is righteousness, and the third is judgment. When the Holy Spirit convicts of guilt in regard to sin. The first work of that Holy Spirit is he activates your conscience. We just talked about that, right? He activates our consciences in such a way that he brings us to a place where we see our sin as our own. That happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. Whenever he saw Jesus and whenever he met the Holy Spirit, he felt the weight of his own sin. 
Second one is the Holy Spirit convicts of guilt in regard to righteousness. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit convicts concerning righteousness because he says, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. You know, we don't know righteousness until we know Jesus. Before Paul encountered Christ on that road to Damascus, he was confident in his own righteousness. But something changed, right? He knew he was a sinner, and he felt the weight of his own sins. And the third one in John 16 here, it says, The Holy Spirit convicts of guilt in regard to judgment. Verse 11 of John 16 says, Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. There will be a day of judgment, a day of judgment between right and wrong, between those who know Christ and those who don't. And the Holy Spirit convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. And a true Christian wants more of this, not less. In Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. A Christian wants to know his own sin so he can leave his sinful way and embrace God's mercy. You see, a good conscience is powered by the Spirit, but it's also set by the Word of God. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If the alarm clock is to function, it has to be powered and it has to be set. I did not want to wake up before my alarm clock went off whenever I was getting ready for practice. I needed all the sleep I can get by going through a hard day at school and then playing and practicing basketball in the afternoons. I needed my sleep. I wanted my alarm clock to be set to a certain time that I would not wake up before it. A good conscience is powered by the Spirit and set by the Word of God. Hiding God's Word in your heart will train your conscience to sound the alarm to keep you from sin. Church, are you like David? Are you like David? Are you hiding God's Word in your heart? Or is it just something that you might open up on a Sunday Sunday morning? Is it something that you are meditating on? Is it at the center of your life and hidden in your heart? When you hide God's word in your heart, that word shapes you. That word strengthens you. And it strengthens your conscience. See, a good conscience is the best defense against sin and temptation. And we know Paul, right? Paul's conscience was definitely corrupted. Paul's conscience was definitely seared. But the Apostle Paul told Jewish leaders in Acts 23, verse 1, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. How was it that Paul could say that he had served God in all good conscience after opposing that very God? Turn over with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, Paul is breathing murderous threats and judgment against Christians, against the disciples of Jesus against the church. He goes to the high priest to obtain letters, to obtain licenses, to go to Damascus. And go to Damascus and find anyone there who is worshiping the name, declaring the name of Jesus, declaring the name of Christ, so he can seize that person. He can bind them up and throw them in prison. This is the man that we read about earlier in Acts chapter 8. This is the same man we know, we've already talked about, approved of the execution of Stephen. How could it be that this man, 
who later said, I have a good conscience before God. Well, church, it is because Paul met Jesus. Paul met Jesus on that road to Damascus and his life was transformed. Read with me Acts 9 verse 4. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Now listen to this. He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Paul meets Jesus, and his life is transformed. Paul meets Jesus, and he is baptized. Before this, Paul did not know Jesus. Before this, Paul was persecuting any follower of Jesus. In verses 18 and 20, it reads, And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Church, have you met Jesus? Have you met Jesus? Meeting Jesus transformed Paul's life. Meaning Jesus was able to cleanse Paul's corrupted, Paul's seared conscience. A good conscience is cleared and cleansed by the blood of Christ. See, the problem with Old Testament sacrifices is they were not able to cleanse the conscience of the worshiper. You know, the Israelites had all different kinds of sacrifices, all different kinds of offerings. They had feast offerings, guilt offerings, sin offerings, burnt offerings. They had all of them, and they offered them at all the right times. And the priests would offer these sacrifices up on behalf of an individual or sometimes even the whole nation. But these sacrifices were not enough. These sacrifices would be, have to be offered again. These sacrifices pointed to something greater. They pointed to Christ's sacrifice, his selfless sacrifice on a cruel, on a harsh, on a, on a wooden cross, but by themselves, they could not cleanse the conscience. And the, and the last text I want to bring for you today is Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9, verses 9 through 14. That's where we'll end today. Hebrews 9, starting in verse 9, says this, According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent that is not made with hands, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. How amazing is this promise? Christ cleansing our consciences from acts that lead to death. How does he do it? He does it by the blood of Christ. Because on that cross, he offered himself unblemished to God. He offered himself unblemished. He offered his perfect life as a sacrifice to God for us on account of our sins. Therefore, he alone is able to cleanse our consciences through his blood. Your conscience may have been corrupted. 
Your conscience may have been seared. Christ can make it good. That's what redemption is all about. A good conscience is powered by the Spirit, set by the Word, and cleansed by the blood. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, there is washing. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, there is forgiving, there is restoring, and there is renewing for you. The blood of Christ cleanses our consciences, but it also cleanses us from sin. You can be washed today. You can be cleansed. Have you trusted your conscience and let it lead you down the wrong path? Are you ready to have your conscience and your sins cleansed by Jesus? If we can help you in any way, please come forward while we stand and sing. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.